Hi everyone, I'm Sky Ross and this is Motherness, a podcast dedicated to sharing mindful and empowering interviews with mothers and experts. Together, we're shining a light on the realness of raising babies and life postpartum, from the first moments to the months following and the years beyond. Motherness serves to hold space for mothers in all their glory, to inform you, to include you, to empower you and to connect you. And despite our different experiences, opinions and approaches, as mothers who love, we are grounded in this together. Today's episode of Motherness is brought to you by Everyday the Label. Everyday the Label consciously create clothing that all young children are able to wear every day. Since launching in June 2020, they are committed to providing quality everyday items for your babies that are designed and ethically made in New Zealand. Puhoi to be exact. Focusing on basic patterns and neutral colours, they are inclusive for all. As well as ensuring that they were a New Zealand made brand, Everyday the Label wanted to make sure they were doing what they could to eliminate their waste and recycle where possible. And so, their Circle Initiative was born. When your baby grows out of their Everyday the Label clothes, they give you the option to send your pieces back to them so they can give them a new lease on life. To say thank you, they provide you with a discount code for your next Everyday the Label purchase. Their dream is for many babies to love a single Everyday the Label piece time and time again. The brand is a one-woman team, Shani. Her focus is on creating more than just aesthetically pleasing pieces of clothing but clothing with a greater meaning. Everyday the Label is kindly offering all Motherness listeners 10% off store-wide. Enter the code MOTHERNESS at checkout to receive your discount. Visit everydaythelabel.co.nz to shop. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode with Suhina. She's a beautiful new mum to a very fresh six-week-old baby boy who was born during level three of the COVID-19 lockdown. On Motherness, we don't normally record episodes this early, but given Sahina practiced postpartum confinement for the first 40 days, it seemed appropriate to do so. Today, we discuss the confinement practices she adopted as part of her Indian-Malaysian heritage, predominantly focusing on nourishment and bringing the warmth back to her body through self-care practices after birth. We talk through the challenges and benefits that came with her confinement, what it was like having so much support and help from her parents and her in-laws, and how much of her postnatal recovery she attributes to this cultural custom. Sahina speaks of her difficult breastfeeding journey with Ari and her emotional decision to formula feed. She also opens up about her gradual bonding journey with her baby, one that she admits is still evolving. It was incredibly special to speak to Sahina given she's still very much in the newborn stage finding her way and getting to know her son. As a result, her episode is as raw as it is reflective. She is articulate, thoughtful, eloquent and so beautifully spoken. I'm so thankful to Sahina for bringing us into her world during such a sacred time and passing on the wisdom she already embodies, despite her own motherness being very much in its infancy. Here's Sahina on her fourth trimester and her blissful postpartum confinement. Hi Sahina, welcome to Motherness. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you just start by introducing yourself? Tell us who you are, where you live and who you are a mother to. 
So my name is Sahina and I'm married to my husband Lloyd. Um, we live in Auckland and we're parents to a six-week-old baby boy named Arif and we call him Ari for short. And uh, based on what we're chatting about, I think it's also important to note that both sets of our parents also live in Auckland and are within about a half an hour drive of each of us as well. So. Yeah, amazing. So we are going, we're doing this a little bit differently today. You've listened to the podcast normally when we do a fourth trimester episode, we're doing it after 12 weeks. But for you, a big part of your fourth trimester has been that you've been doing postpartum confinement. Mm-hmm. Normally we start with like talking about the birth, but I would love to start by talking about how you were thinking about your postpartum when you were pregnant and what sort of preparations you did before your son arrived. Um, so to be honest, even though, so confinement obviously is quite a big part for us culturally. So I'm, um, Malaysian Indian by heritage. And so my mum, my aunties, um, Lloyd's family, um, the women in his family have all been through a similar period, um, back home. And what that means for them is that usually there's a confinement lady that you can hire who comes and takes care of everything for mum and baby for up to 42 days. We obviously don't have that here. So my parents took on that role and they were quite vocal about wanting to do that for us when baby arrived. So we didn't have to do too much preparation other than mentally sort of understanding and accepting what that meant for us, um, as a family and how we were going to do that. Um, and then obviously we were in lockdown with COVID-19, so that changed things dramatically. So we didn't really have a plan while I was pregnant. We just knew that, okay, we'd have some help and some support, and then we'd kind of see how things go. But the very minimal level of support was that both sets of our parents insisted on uh, cooking for us, so fresh, healthy food, and bringing that over or making sure we had that available to us for the first 40 days of my sort of confinement period. So let's um, get into your birth then. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us a quick overview of how your birth with Ari went? Sure. So I had um, contractions that started a week after my due date and I was in that stage of labor for about four days, which felt like four months. (laughs) Um, My waters broke on the fourth day. So I was induced on day five when I was 41 plus four. Um, We had to go to hospital for that. So I was at Middlemore and uh, my inducement was probably lasted close to 12 hours and baby was born. Um, I had an episiotomy and I also developed an infection during labor just because of the length of um, my labor. So I had to stay at Middlemore for two extra nights. Um, We were also still in level three at the time. So I was only allowed one support person during my delivery, which was my husband. And he had to leave once baby was born. And he was allowed to visit us for um, two hours each day for the following two days. And after Middlemore, Our initial plan was that we would probably stay at birth care for just one night and then head home and we would have our family support um, for the first couple of days. But again, because of lockdown, that changed and we ended up being at birth care for three nights, um, Lloyd, Baby and I, and we managed to find the only birth care centre in Auckland that was allowing dads to stay. So that was a really uh, necessary and valuable time for us. So that was my birth process. Yeah. And so um, how did you feel when Ari was first born? What were those first moments like? Did you guys have a first breastfeed? Did you do delayed cord clamping? What was that like? 
So we'd had, uh, as soon as baby was born, they popped him on my chest and we had lots of skin to skin. Um, his cord clamp, we did have delayed cord clamping. Um, not that I remember what that looked like, but I remember asking for it. Um, and then I think maybe about 20 minutes later, he kind of wriggled up looking for a feed. So we had our first feed together and then I think they took him away and did all his measurements and things like that. And then dad had a long cuddle. Um, but those first few moments, I remember just feeling completely, I think it was just a big sense of relief. It was a, it was felt like the end of a marathon, not that I've run that, but I imagine that's what it would feel like. You're just like, okay, my job is done. I've birthed, um, as far as I can tell, a healthy baby and I can just like, just relax now. So it was just overwhelming. Yeah. And what was it like when Lloyd had to go? Like, how were you feeling emotionally about that? I think I felt really scared, obviously, and this was something that I had to start preparing for from about 35 weeks uh, pregnant. Given the situation in New Zealand, we knew what we were heading towards, and so I spent the last probably month of my pregnancy preparing to deliver alone. I did my head. I in, in my head, I was going in without any support. And if I was able to have my husband there, that would be amazing. If I was able to have my husband and my mum, that would be the perfect scenario, but I spent a good month before delivering, mentally preparing to do it on my own and building up the mental resilience I needed, but it was really, really hard. That was the one expectation I had going into having a baby was that my mum and Lloyd could be there with me. Um, so letting go of that even before baby came, that was really challenging. And I remember when they wheeled us from the birthing unit to the I think the maternity unit, um, Lloyd was standing at the end of hall and he, at the end of the hall and he gave us a little wave goodbye and I think my heart broke a little bit and I was just so, yeah, it was really sad. And I think being a new father and a new mother, all you want to do is be together and not having that, um, was quite difficult. And the first few days because of that were just such a blur. Yeah, understandably. How were you kind of feeling emotionally over those few days when you were still in hospital? I have a very fragmented memory of those first few days, even though it was only six weeks ago. Um, I was saying to Lloyd the other night, did I change him or did the nurses change him? And we were kind of looking back on a picture of, of us and I was like, oh, there's diapers under there. So obviously I did that. I had to do that. Um, but I really just don't remember a lot. I remember feeling like in a lot of pain the first night and Ari was crying inconsolably because he was hungry and I couldn't pick him up to feed him because obviously I was in pain as well. I'd had stitches um, and just feeling really helpless the first night um, and then seeing the next morning was just such an immense relief knowing that someone who loved our baby was there and I took that opportunity to have my first shower and have a meal but I just felt really scared that something would happen to baby if I left him and I felt very I felt such a weight of responsibility that I've never felt in my life despite all of the amazing support that we did have from the nurses and the midwives but you very quickly realize that they're not going to help you unless you ask for help and asking for help was not something, it's not something that I'm good at. Um, and I really struggled with that for the first couple of days, um, being there without an advocate for me and not being able to advocate for myself. Mm, yeah, I completely resonate with that. I think that a lot of mums, especially first time mums, find it really hard to ask for help. Um, mm -hmm. But I can't imagine what it would have been like without having somebody also there to be your advocate when you potentially need them to be like your husband. 
so when you went to birth care for those other few nights, how were you feeling physically then? Were you, did you feel like you were recovering? How were you feeling in your body? So within the first few days, I started to feel much better. My stitches were healing. I could feel my strength coming back. Um, I was able to walk a lot more. Um, so I was feeling pretty good physically and emotionally and mentally. We was very much in the riding the high of, you know, giving birth. And we were just so excited that we were going to be together. So we had all of this hope and expectation that birth care was going to be amazing. We'd be a cute little family unit of three. You know, everything would be going well. Um, my feeding journey up for the first couple of days it seemed fine baby was okay he was latching okay so I thought breastfeeding was natural and everything would happen beautifully after that point so we went into birth care having a lot of expectations so run us through the reality of how that time kind of played out for you um, the reality was quite different. I think the first day was still fine. We were just kind of surviving and getting things done and everything was new and we were so excited to be together that we were just taking turns. We weren't worrying too much about making time for each other to sleep and eat and things like that, which we came to realize uh, were very, very important. Um, by the second day in birth care, so Ari's um, four days old by this stage, um, he's starting to get really, really hungry and that's when we started to lean on a bit more of the support from the midwives in terms of trying to figure out what was going on with breastfeeding and things like that. And uh, things started to quite go quite um, pear-shaped for us at that point because um, every midwife that came in, they're obviously working in shifts, uh, pointed out something different that either I was doing wrong or baby wasn't quite right or the position wasn't quite right or there's something wrong with his latch and we tried all sorts of things from nipple shields to nipple shields and then putting a syringe through the nipple shield with a bit of formula to top him up to me pumping. It became the cycle of, uh, was a 48 hour cycle where it was just relentless. I was breastfeeding for 45 minutes to an hour and then pumping for 45 minutes to an hour sleeping for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and doing it all again. And I also had a low milk supply at this point. My milk wasn't coming in um, and my baby was starving and we became really stressed and really anxious and just we felt quite trapped, to be honest, um, because we also knew that we thought about going home, but if we were to do that, we would be alone without any support and we weren't ready to face that. So we kind of stuck it out. Yeah. And so how has your breastfeeding or feeding journey kind of eventuated from there? Did you guys get support from a lactation consultant and have a bit of a game plan moving forward? So those services weren't really offered to us um, in the hospital or at birth care. And I think a lot of that, I was aware that lactation consultants obviously exists and that we have our midwife available. But again, because we were in lockdown, everything was on pause. So none of those were being offered in person at the time and getting access to a lactation consultant over the phone or online, which is something that I looked into. They were all booked. There weren't many people offering it. So we didn't really have that support. Um, so I had low milk supply. I had cracked and bleeding nipples within the first few days. Um, and baby was starving. He was crying. We were just super miserable. And it got to the point where Lloyd always says, like, he looked at me one night and he just saw empty. Like I was, my tank was empty. Emotionally, I was empty. Mentally, I was empty. And um, it's still quite emotional to think about, to be honest. Um, but at that point, he said, no, that's it. We're giving baby a full feed on formula just because he needs it. 
Um, and even that became quite an issue at birth care. We had to sign a consent form. They kept trying to talk us out of it and discourage us from doing that, which I absolutely understand if we wanted to push with breastfeeding, then that wouldn't have been very helpful. Um, but we did decide to do that. And he stopped crying for the first time in a couple of days and slept for the first time in his life for more than sort of 40 minutes. Um, and at that point, I think things took a turn for us. So I've never had any convictions about breastfeeding versus formula. I never had anything in my head about what was better or what I wanted to do. But I did carry the assumption that I would be able to breastfeed. And I didn't spend too much time while I was pregnant thinking about the alternative. Um, but after seeing our son content for the first time in his life, I felt such immense guilt that he had been starving. But I also felt like I'd failed as a mum to breastfeed him and nurture him. So I kept up the pumping when we got home and tried to stimulate my supply and did a whole bunch of things. But um, my breast milk just kind of dried up on its own within three days. And that was that. That decision was made for me. And consequently, after talking to my mum and grandma, um, I've, they've told me that they experienced the same thing when they had all of their children. So my midwife had said it could be... Um, some of that could be hereditary. It could have been because I was so tired when I gave birth. There are so many reasons. I've stopped trying to understand them, but we've made the decision that Ari's on formula and he's super happy and he's growing really well. So I'm slowly letting go of that guilt. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it for you emotionally giving him that first bottle? Obviously you see him feeling quite content, but you're reconciling those feelings of guilt how has that emotional journey been for you and how has it impacted the emotions of your fourth trimester to date? I think it was, you feel like as a mother, there are things that you need to do. You need to carry your baby. You need to be graceful in your pregnancy. You need to deliver your baby. You need to do everything that you can as a mum to make sure that they're healthy. Breast milk obviously has all of the benefits that we know about. So sitting there and looking at him, I felt so relieved that he was getting what he needed. I felt so helpless that I couldn't give it to him. Um, but then I also felt that the resentment slowly kind of slip away because <clears throat> after the first sort of three or four days where I'm in the cycle of feeding, pumping, feeding, pumping, um, continuously, it got to the point where he would latch onto my nipple, which was already kind of bleeding and sore. And I would just grimace and try not to cry um, and suck it up you know and it, every time he was hungry I started to develop feelings of oh my gosh I really just I don't want to I don't want to do this and I don't want to see him and I don't want to have this experience and so it became quite difficult for me to bond with him for that first week actually so seeing him take that feed for the first time and then moving forward we kind of introduced more and more every feed that he had and that he was happier, I was also fractionally happier as well. And so that alleviated some of the guilt that I felt. And then again, talking to my mum and grandma, and they kept reassuring me saying, hey, look, you know, it is really important, but it's such a short period in their lives when you are able to do this. It doesn't define who you are as a mum or as a mum, as a mother. If you can't, then you can't. It's okay. I really had them on my side to help me understand and help me validate whatever decision Lloyd and I made. So that made a big difference for me mentally. Yeah. 
Yeah, it must have been nice feeling like you had them on your side when you came home and that you finally had that support and that it wasn't chopping and changing of advice, but somebody just or two people who love you dearly and just saying it's okay and giving you permission, which sometimes I think we just, we need somebody else to validate that for us, right? It makes us feel more confident in our decisions as a mother. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, obviously as a midwife or a nurse, your job is to provide information and allow, you know, your patient to make that decision for themselves. But as a new mum, with all of the feelings that you're feeling, you don't know which way is up, let alone what is the right thing to do or the best thing to do. So to have someone I love, and actually more than one person that I love, pick up the phone or look at me and tell me that it was okay, I'm not hurting him. That was all the permission that I needed. I remember just we Lloyd and I just sat together and we just cried with happiness, I think, uh, on that phone call because we were like, okay, it's not, it's not the end of the world. We'll get through this. We'll figure it out. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well what we need to recognize is that, you know, you needed to be emotionally present and happy and well in that sense, because that is also something that you need to provide your baby just as much as the food or however he gets that source of food, you know, so it's really important. Yeah. Let's talk about the confinement. So you left birth care, you had had a really tricky few days and were you currently in level three at this point still? So how was confinement looking for you in terms of how it would play out practically with that support from your families? So just for a little bit of background, um, so confinement means so many different things across so many different cultures, but the common sort of principle is that your family or your community will help support you through the postnatal period. And the main goal of that is to allow mum to physically and mentally recover from pregnancy, from labor, from, from birth. So it's one of the few things in the postnatal period that's actually focused on the mum. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm of Malaysian Indian ethnicity. And for us, this would mean that you would hire someone typically to look after mum and baby. Um, and that includes the provision of, um, special baths and massages every day. This is for mum, not baby, very luscious. Um, <laughs> and this person would also do all of the cooking and help to look after baby for the first initial days. Um, so my parents were more than happy to take on that role. Um, but we focused on the nutrition and rest aspect, obviously, because that's what we were able to do. So we believe that during pregnancy, your body's very heaty, um, and it generates quite a lot of heat. But as soon as you give birth, you become very susceptible to the cold. So those, the principle of confinement is that in the first few months, I meant to do as much as I can to retain and build up that heat in my body that I've lost. Um, so traditionally, this means that there are so many more things that I can't do. So I can't wash my hair too often. I shouldn't be doing the dishes in cold water. I shouldn't leave the house um, uncovered or preferably not leave the house. Um, we shouldn't have visitors, don't exercise too much, things like that. So there are more don'ts than there are do's. So in that respect, I think any woman that delivered during lockdown had experienced some level of a traditional <laughs> confinement. Um, but as a family, we discussed what was, what was realistic um, when I was pregnant. And as I mentioned, we just focused around nutrition and rest. 
Um, so what happened was when we got home, so after being in hospital and birth care, I was feeling just really low and really overwhelmed. And I remember the first time mum came over, she basically held Arav, um, took, took him in her arms and insisted that I go to sleep. She was like, don't do anything, just go to bed. And I had the deepest three hours sleep I have ever had in my life. And I felt so much better when I woke up. Um, and I think that was the first time I realized that there is such a big difference in having someone close to you look after your child versus just someone. So it was really important that that was my mum that did that initially. And I basically had no sense of time and no appetite for the first two to three weeks um, postpartum. So my husband or my parents would literally put a plate of food in front of me and make sure that I ate something. And I'm so grateful for these gestures of love because you can't emotionally and mentally recover without first nourishing your body. And I didn't understand how important that was until I think even now I'm still still appreciative of, of all of that. Um, but in addition to observing the diet aspect, I also chose to stay home and not have any visitors over other than our immediate family. And um, that was just important to me because I think I knew that I needed time. So talk us through... Um the kind of, I guess, what a day would look like for you in terms of the practices that you adopted. Um, you said nourishment was a big focus. So kind of what sort of meals were you having? What sort of drinks were you having? Yeah, just, I guess, give us a picture of what that experience was like, because it sounds blissful. <laughs> it really, it, it was. And, and it was such a small, well, it feels like such a small aspect of our day to day that they helped take away from us cooking and eating, you know, cooking and preparing food. But really, that is such a big part of your recovery. And Lloyd and I love cooking. We love being in the kitchen together as a family. That's really important to us. So relinquishing control of that aspect, we thought would be quite detrimental. Like we thought, okay, if ba- if mum and dad come and help look after baby, we can cook and we'd really enjoy that. And that would be lovely. But really actually having all of that just taken away and being able to focus on baby was fantastic. So for the first month, we didn't cook or buy a meal. My parents and my in-laws basically took turns each week to be head chef and uh, drop meals off. And the focus of confinement meals is basically lots of small meals, but lots of variety. And the ingredients should be as fresh as possible and very warming. So for us, that means lots of ginger, lots of fennel, lots of turmeric, um, all sorts of ingredients to help heal your internal wounds. So I had lots of uh, soups. Every meal would have a, a simple soup and then just a really bland kind of protein and some vegetables, but with lots of ginger and pepper and spices like that, but no chilies or anything that could aggravate my internal wounds. Um, I also wasn't allowed to have anything kind of processed, so no chips, no chocolates, things like that, um, nothing spicy, or even anything that was cold like yogurt or cold milk or ice cream. Um, so we believe that cooling ingredients, so in addition to the ones that are obviously cold, there are also cooling ingredients like um, fruits like pineapple, vegetables like cucumber, they're said to cause um, rheumatism and arthritis in the mum's body if you're not careful or you have too much of that. So it's best to avoid that for the um, initial stages of healing. 
We also avoid foods that are known to be gassy, so onions and jackfruit, things like that, um, because traditionally the belief is that that may cause colic in the baby if you're breastfeeding. So there's actually a very short list of ingredients that are confinement-friendly, um, and that was kind of the dad just kind of rotated the protein, and I had very simple, repetitive meals. Yeah, so nice, though, you know, with that small list not having to stick to that yourself like somebody else has taken the responsibility of nourishing you for you did you do any other practices like is belly binding something that you do did you ever have any of the massages and kind of what was your approach to showering and washing your hair and things like that so I love a hot shower. As soon as I had baby Ari, the first thing I said to Lloyd was, I need a hot shower. <laughs> I don't care how I get to the bathroom. I really want a hot shower. But as soon as I stood up, I fainted and this happened quite a few times. So we gave up on that. Um, but when I got home, the thing I was looking forward to most was a hot shower. But my grandma called and she's like, don't you dare wash your hair uh, in the first week. Like you'll catch a chill. Don't do that. Um, so I was quite careful with things like that as well. Not so much because it was important to me actually but because it was important to my family and at that point I was not really up to thinking of myself or even thinking by myself I was just still very much in survival mode and so I did listen to everything that they kind of I was just taking instructions if that makes sense um so we didn't do belly binding my mum did have that and she still has her um but we just use a corset rather than the cloth binding so mum still has her corset from when she was postpartum and she did offer it to me, but it just felt quite, um, that felt a little too traditional for me. And I believe that my body's doing its thing. I could see my blushing going down every day and my stretch marks kind of settling and everything healing. So I felt quite comfortable not taking that step. What was important to me was just kind of staying warm and you know, not, I didn't go out, not even to the garden. Um, and I just very much stayed at home and stayed warm and stayed cozy and, and, and did that version of it. Yeah. Nice. And so did you do anything to support your physical recovery from your episiotomy? How did that kind of go and where's your healing at now with that? I didn't do anything special other than to avoid any strenuous exercise and all of those obvious things. I didn't do much. Lloyd didn't let me do basically anything at home other than look after baby so I wasn't lifting anything or carrying anything or walking too much or anything like that I, I was given the luxury of that support that really allowed me to take it easy um, and so I did take it easy for the first at least three weeks and I remember I kept telling mum and dad and even my husband guys I feel fine like let's go for a walk let's go out let's do something it's been three weeks already I'm fine and they all kept reminding me hey it's only been three weeks it's only been one month um, your body's been through something so major it's just been this long and that time that they allowed me to just not do much, I think that's actually what helped my recovery the most because honestly within the first four weeks, um, my stitches healed up beautifully. I felt my sort of core strength start to come back. Um, my back was feeling a lot better after I had an epidural during um, birth, so my back was feeling much better following that. Um, my bloating had completely gone and everything. I felt almost back to my pre-pregnancy self. And I had a, a postnatal checkup with a um, women's health physio yesterday. 
and yeah, it's looking like everything's almost back to normal, which I'm really surprised by given, you know, childbirth is quite a traumatic experience for the fittest of people. So it looks like some of those things that we were able to do were quite helpful. Yeah, amazing. Oh, that's so good. And how do you how do you kind of reflect on confinement now that you've been through it in terms of what you loved about it and what you found challenging? As an individual, I tend to be very independent and very pragmatic. And as a couple, Lloyd and I and now Ari, I think we're quite private and we love being in our little bubble and we have, you know, lots of close family and friends, but we're not the most open or public people. So the confinement period where we had such immense support was, we felt initially uh, forced on us and that was quite a blessing, but it also was the biggest challenge that we faced. So for example, I'm the biggest, you know, lurker on social media. I'll seek information, but I'm not one to, you know, comment on posts or message people I don't know or anything like that. So even recording this podcast is not something that I have ever thought to do in my life before this, but after this experience and have, after being forced to let my family in, in the way that I have, um, I've really come to appreciate the cultural background that I come from and I want to pay that forward. And so now I want nothing more than to share my time and my experience and help and support, you know, any, any mums around me really, whether that's a podcast or taking a meal over or finding time to just give a new mum the luxury of time. Um, the confinement process has definitely given me a different perspective on community and family. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but conversely, being who we are, Lloyd and I, we really struggled to accept all of the support. That was the biggest challenge we faced. We had so many long conversations almost every day about how we felt about it and we spent so much time justifying to ourselves why it was okay for us to have this help and why it doesn't make us bad parents and why it's okay to take a bit of time to have a shower or have a meal without holding a crying baby um, and it took us a long time to be okay with that and we're still working through that because we continue to have our family support us but understanding where we fit as parents into this family tree that Ari has of caregivers um, that was a big challenge for us. Do you feel like it's kind of a dichotomy of having this I guess eastern perspective and family in terms of like Eastern and Western world and then very much being a modern mother living in the Western world and kind of the living in between those two and finding out how you fit. Is that kind of how you look at it? Absolutely. And talking to my mum and talking about the experience that she had, she obviously had my grandparents to support her. Um, but their time was so different. My mum didn't have uh, parental leave. She was back at work within, you know, four weeks. Um, Dad was working two jobs to look after the family. Um, so that support and help was a necessity. Whereas in this day and age, I am on maternity leave. Lloyd has um, parental leave for a couple of weeks. We're in a position where we don't have to work multiple jobs and we can focus on raising our child. So to have all of this extra support, it feels like such a luxury and you almost feel like you don't deserve it. What have I done or what's so special about me that I need this extra help? And we, yeah, it, it, 
it's a real struggle for the two of us because, you know, we have friends who have babies and they don't have any family around them and, and they're surviving, they're, they're coping, they're okay. Why are we so special? Why are we different? Um, but then you realize, and I have come to realize this just recently, that it's so much more than about me and about Lloyd. It's about what's best for our child. If we can have five minutes in the day to have a cup of coffee or, or to have him bond with his grandparents and we go back to him and each time because of that break, we're a little bit better, a little bit more engaged, we're off our phones because we've missed him, then that is such an amazing gift that you can give your child. And it's so selfish to just think of us because I see my parents interact and Lloyd's parents interact with the baby and I've never seen any of them so in love and so they just love looking after him. And then I feel like actually, hey, we're doing something nice for them as well. It's not just about us. So that's helped. That's helped too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful perspective on it. I love that. You talked earlier about finding that first week really difficult in terms of bonding. How has your bonding journey with Ari gone and how much of that progress in bonding with him do you attribute to how you have lived out your postpartum period? So for the first two weeks of being a mum, I've never cried so much in my life. And my hormones and my emotions were all over the show. And I was so confronted by all these feelings because I've never had them before. I didn't know that I was to expect it. Um, and I just really struggled. I'm the sort of person, whether I'm buying a blender or buying a car or buying a house, I like to research everything. And that's my, that's my job. But it's also who I am as a person as I research and make decisions. And I intentionally went into motherhood, not overthinking it and not trying to have too many expectations. So to feel what I was feeling and not know that I would have felt that way and feeling unprepared to deal with it. And then on top of that, we had a very difficult breastfeeding journey, in my opinion. And then we were in lockdown as well. And I felt even more isolated because I couldn't go out initially for a short walk or to the grocery store. Um, that whole, the first couple of weeks were just so immersive. It was constant and relentless. And yeah, having that support allowed me to give myself permission to just sit with my thoughts, even if it was for one minute or five minutes and just process what I was feeling feel what I was feeling and accept what I was feeling and then return to my child just fractionally better and healthier each time. And I also really leaned on Lloyd to help me work through my feelings because he had a very different experience. He had, he met Ari and his heart exploded and he was full on into fatherhood. Um, and so I really leaned on him to help me understand what was on the other side, what being happy felt like and what being a parent felt like at the same time. Because for the first two weeks, those were two very different feelings for me. Yeah. And so how are you feeling about all of that now that you are six weeks in? Now that we're six weeks in, it's been a really subtle, falling in love with my child has been a very subtle process for me. I've gone from that initial couple of days where it makes me very sad to say, but I did resent the feeding process and I really struggled to bond with him. But once we made the decision to move away from that and we were back home and I had sleep and rest and food, and every time I looked at him, I felt a little happier 
And then one day I remember looking at him and he smiled at me and I was just absolutely smitten. And I just, every, I just couldn't imagine not loving him at that point. And I just couldn't imagine my life without him at that point. But that was only very recently. That was probably when he was around a month old. Um, when I had my, I never had a heart explosion. I don't think I ever will. Um, so falling in love with him has been such a slow process. But I think that's what being a mother is as well. It is a slow process. Um, so it feels, it feels okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, that I didn't have that moment that I thought that I would have. I, I had a more gradual experience as well. And I think it happens more often than we talk about because there's a lot of guilt that is attributed to that. Like it's not what we think should happen, but it often is what mm-hmm. happens. So I, yeah, I'm tearing up when you say that because I know that <laughs> feeling and it takes me back. So, yeah, I I totally know what you mean. And I think as a woman, you just feel, as a woman, as a woman who works, as a woman who wears so many hats, you go from wearing all these hats and you have to hang them up in, in a split second as soon as that baby's born to wear this new hat of being a mother. And I really struggled with that. I focused on my education and my career my whole life. I'm... I, I work, I have a, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sibling, I have so many roles and suddenly all of that was stripped back and I was just a mum and I say just a mum but actually that's a very all-encompassing role isn't it and to accept that and to understand how beautiful that is it really does take time and also losing your independence. I think I just went through a lot of it almost feels like the five stages of grief where you where you kind of grieve who you were and I feel guilty saying that but I think it's okay to have that feeling and you accept who you are and you acknowledge who you're going to be because one day I am going to go back to work I am going to be a better wife than I am today because I'll have more control I'm going to go back to being a daughter and a sibling and a friend and it's just understanding that you're on a whole different journey than anybody else who's there, even though they're by your side. Yeah, absolutely. I think once you have your baby, you continue to work it out whether they're six weeks old or whether they're 15 months, Mm -hmm. like my daughter. It's just ever-evolving, working out who you are now with a mum added to all of that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight to it. I think especially if you have come from being very independent, it sounds like you have been and very career focused. And then also giving yourself permission to just sit in just being a mum because it is all encompassing and it is really big whilst also feeling quite minimal sometimes compared to all of the hats you've worn in the past. So let's talk about sleep really quickly. What has your approach been to sleep over the past six weeks and how are you kind of thinking about um, I guess your expectations and the sort of um, settling techniques that you would put into play once Ari arrived and how has the reality of newborn sleep been for you guys? Um, As with the rest of our preparation, to be honest, we didn't do too much. So I'd read a little bit about newborn sleep and kind of understood the science of it because that was important to me. Um, I'd understood a few techniques. 
But then on the other hand, we had my parents and grandparents and Lloyd's parents who were like, oh, it's just a baby. He'll be fine. Just follow what he does. And within a few months, it'll be okay. So again, we were trying to reconcile these two very different perspectives. Anyway, once baby arrived, we had sort of, we'd always agreed that he would be in our room. Um, so that was a given from day one. So he didn't really have, he doesn't have a separate room. He sleeps with us um, on his own bed in our room next to me. And we've just taken his cues, really. I don't follow anything in particular. He goes to bed around 7, 7.30, um, and then he's sort of in a deep sleep overnight. He doesn't really wake up and cry. He wakes up and gives me a little fuss to say that he's hungry. I feed him, and he kind of goes back to bed. So I feel like he's understood the, defini- the difference between day and night quite well. Um, his daytime sleep is very different in that some days he'll have a good nap some days he doesn't he's much more alert and just happy doing his own thing so I am aware and I think that I should be doing more to kind of start having a routine for him but it hasn't felt like the right thing to do for him yet so I'm quite happy just taking his cues and going along with that We're also continuing to spend time um, with his grandparents being involved. And so that means that my mum-in-law comes over and and looks after him in the daytime one day a week. And my parents do the same one day a week. And I don't feel that it's right to say, hey, this is how I want him to sleep. I actually want my child to have some flexibility. And so he's fairly good. He'll sleep on the bed. He'll sleep in his crib. Um, he can sleep with lights on, lights off. He's quite flexible and that seems to work for him. So we're just going to continue to roll with that. Um, but we are, he is getting near three months now. So we will start to work on him self settling a little bit more. But I think I'll just seek the information as and when I feel I need to rather than have any expectations because that's been the downfall so far. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about um, motherhood, isn't it? Like birth is the ultimate preparer of realizing that it's not up to you, that it's totally up to them. They will tell you. (laughs) They'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. And again, because we do have such incredible family support, I do have the luxury of playing it a little bit by ear rather than forcing a schedule or trying to make sure that he's sleeping through the night by the age of X number of months. I can wake up a few more times at night than I'd like to initially because I do have a day a week when I am able to sleep. Um, So again, that family support's really allowed us to just listen to our baby, do what feels right and not make decisions because we feel like we have to. We're making decisions because we think that that's what's best for our child. And I'm really grateful to have that as well. Yeah, amazing. You know, I think the idea of confinement and having all this support sounds really beautiful, but I imagine that there also must be some challenges in terms of having advice from your in-laws and your parents, or at least yeah, I don't want to project that on you because you may not have had that experience, but I would love to know if you have and how you guys have kind of navigated having potentially multiple opinions about how things should be done and either surrendering to that and accepting that advice or, you know, trusting your own gut and going with what you want to do. How have you kind of navigated that whole scenario? I think I've always had the opinion um, that our parents 
love us unconditionally. They're always coming from a place of love and support. I've never doubted their intentions. So because of that, it's very easy for Lloyd and I as a couple to listen to them and to allow them the opportunity to share what they think is best and what we should do and what we can't do and what we can do. But as a couple, we also have the ability to filter that out and to accept what we want to and say no to what we don't. And luckily for us, um, our parents are quite receptive to that and they don't force anything. It's more, hey, this is what we did. What do you think? Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, that's fine. So for example, um, when Arab switched to formula, um, my dad was like, oh, in Malaysia, when you were little, you were on formula, but we used to give you uh, water in between feeds because some formulas cause constipation. Do you, do you want to do that? And I was like, oh no, like my midwife said, that's terrible. We shouldn't feed babies water. Um, and we didn't, we decided not to. And when we went to the pediatrician or the doctor the other day for his vaccinations, we'd mentioned that Ari's been having a little bit of trouble pooping and he was like, Oh, just water down one feet or two. So it was full, full circle, really. <laughs> I'd listen. We'd listen to our parents. We'd said, No, we think that we're not going to do that because this is the advice we've been given. And then actually we've come around. So I'm learning that, you know, with child rearing, there is so much of wisdom involved and you don't necessarily understand why or how, but yeah, navigating that is always interesting. We do that in our relationships anyway, but with him, I, I, I know so much less than I know about every other thing we've had to navigate with our parents. You know, they can give you life advice, relationship advice, career advice. You're in the driving seat then. You know what's best for you. But with my child, um, I'm still very much learning and, I'm learning that that means that it's also okay to acknowledge that I don't know everything and I never will. And so I am a lot more receptive to what both sets of parents have to say. But Lloyd and I always have the approach of, okay, we'll listen, we'll process, we'll discuss, and we will decide together because it is ultimately we have to be comfortable with the consequences of our decision. And so we need to take accountability for that. And that's important to us. Yeah. And how has having a newborn been for your relationship? You're very much still in the thick of having a very fresh little baby. But how are you guys in, yeah, and where you're at with your marriage and your relationship and how the past six weeks have been for you as a couple? I think we've been together for 10 years now, married for five, um, but we've never gone through such extremities of highs and lows as we have in the last six weeks. So being a parent has really tested our marriage and we've come out so much stronger. We've spent so much more time just talking and connecting and understanding what this journey has meant for each of us because for the first time we've experienced something but we've had two such different perspectives and experiences um we've really had to work hard to understand what that means for each of us but again because of the luxury of sleep and time that our families have afforded us I think it's sped up that process for both of us and six weeks in we're starting to feel okay we have somewhat of a routine we have somewhat of a you know normal a new normal for us um, we can go out for brunch and, and and take baby and and little things like that that have restored that sense of normal so it's certainly brought us together and it's brought out 
facets of us that I never knew existed. Um, my husband, he's a good communicator and he always has been, but those couple of nights in birth care when I honestly, I just completely shut down. I wasn't talking, eating, sleeping. There was nothing that I, I was just, I couldn't function. Um, he really stepped up and he could look at me and understand what I was feeling and to have that in your partner and to see that in your partner. I can't describe how much love I have for him for knowing me that deeply. I never thought that he did or I never knew that he could. And to see that and to feel that, I just, yeah, it's it's pretty special, I think. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and how was it for you guys, you know, just – I feel like we're, we've talked a lot about these past six weeks, but how how was it leaving that confinement and kind of rejoining the world, as it were? And, you know, <laughs> it's almost like we all came out of confinement. But exactly. For, for you, how, how was that experience of kind of, I guess, getting into normal life? I mean, you've only been in it for about two weeks, but, but what was that transition like? Yeah, like you said, I feel like all of New Zealand's experienced this with me because everyone seemed to be just as excited to be out for a drink and out for brunch and <laughs> doing normal things. Um, it's been quite, initially it was a little bit scary. Um, we're very lucky in that Lloyd has continued to work from home. So even though I'm looking after Ari by myself most days, um, I still have the safety net of having my husband, you know, in the office upstairs. So venturing out by myself with baby, um, Initially, I was quite nervous about that, but, you know, with every first that you do, your first walk, your first brunch, your first whatever, um, it all starts to get a little bit easier. So we're still staying quite close to home just because he is so little and it's been really cold. Um, but it's been so nice to just get some fresh air and you forget how important it is to take that time to break up the day, you know, to have a friend over and to have a coffee and suddenly two hours is gone. Um, little things like that. I'm really happy that we're able to do that now. So it's made a big difference to, to start to feel those connections beyond just the three of us and our families. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a new appreciation for those little things like going to get a coffee and going to the supermarket? I remember feeling like supermarket trips were me time and I just like <laughs> lived oh for them. Gosh. So how much do you, yeah, how do you think about those things now compared to I guess maybe how you potentially took them for granted before you had a baby. Before I had a baby, having alone time and having time to myself, that was self-care. All of those things were just so normal and, and, and a natural part of my day. And as you said, yeah, going grocery shopping for the first time, I had a list. I bought two things out of the 10 because I was just so overwhelmed. <laughs> and I just walked around like staring at the shelves going, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> because, because we'd been in lockdown and I was pregnant, actually. Lloyd did all of the grocery shopping for... Yeah, for almost three months because I was pregnant and then we had the baby. So he's been, he's been going out and doing all of that. So for me, stepping out for the first time and doing that by myself, it was just so nice to be in that. And I love, I love grocery shopping anyway, but doing that by myself was just so nice. Um, having a shower by myself was so nice, you know, going out for a walk by myself, just driving for the first time in a few months, even all of those experiences have just been so fun and so, yeah. It's so funny how much joy I get out of those little things now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, hey? Yeah. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Sure. 
What expectations? I think we've kind of talked about this, but I'd love for you to just answer this question on its own. Mm -hmm. What expectations did you have for yourself as a mother and for your experience with your baby? And how has the reality of that been potentially different? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm a clinical researcher by profession. And even in my personal life, I spend so much time taking in information before making decisions. And so with this process, I actively sought not to be too informed. So for example, we did maybe we did the Plunkett sort of antenatal course, but other than that, we didn't do too much. And we've always known that we wanted to be parents, um, Lloyd and I, and we'd always kind of talked about it and, and decided that we would start a family at a certain time in our marriage. And the only expectation I really had of this process is that when I met our, when I met our son, that I would have a life changing heart explosion. That was the one thing I knew I was going to have. But then I thought that giving birth was also going to be the hardest part of the whole process. But the reality was that it was just so different. Um, like I said, the first couple of days of breastfeeding, I felt so disconnected from him. But every decision since then just made me feel so much closer. And falling in love with him was such a subtle process. And that was the reality of our journey. And that was so different from what I had in my heart of what it was supposed to be like. And because Lloyd had the opposite experience where he absolutely fell head over heels with our son from the second he met him and he was raving about oh my gosh can you believe we made this baby and I love him so much and I can't imagine life without him and I'm sitting there going I don't understand what you feel that reality was so different for me and I I've never felt so wrong in how I felt before like I knew what I was feeling could be validated in my own way because obviously there's hormones and all of that. But in the moment, you just feel like, why aren't I feeling this? What's wrong with me? I made this child. I've carried him. I loved feeling his little kicks in my belly. I loved hearing his heart beat on the scans. Like, why am I not feeling anything? Um, so that reality was, was very, very different and very difficult but we got there. And the thing is, unless you're present enough to realize that moment when you do fall in love, I think that even that moment can pass you by. You have to be so conscious and present in your motherhood and in your in being with your child to catch those moments and accept them and absorb them. So that's been a bit of a, yeah, that's been different. Mm. What has helped you reconcile those feelings and feel okay about not having that explosive heart bursting moment has it just been time I don't know that I have completely accepted it yet part of me is still kind of hoping that one day I'll look at him and just I don't know have that moment I really I, I really thought that I would have that and I really wanted that um because that's what falling in love to me has always felt like, you know, you meet your nephew or you meet your, I met Lloyd, like I've had those feelings. So yes, time has certainly helped. And I think the more expressive and engaging he gets, the more I'm getting back from him, the more 
Yeah, like, and, and when we're around him, when I'm with mum or dad, and I walk into the room, they're like, oh, he knows his mum is here because his mannerisms change, and he can hear my voice, and I, I don't realize those things until someone points that out, but knowing that somewhere in there my son loves me and recognizes me and knows who his mum is, oh my gosh, those are my those are my little heart explosions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. It all does just build up. I mean, I remember just getting to, I think it wasn't until about nine weeks for me when I just looked at Albie and I went, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with you. You yeah. know, like I love you. And I have days where I'm like, oh, somebody give me a break. But then I have days where I'm like, oh, you are just the greatest little thing. So I yeah. promise you it will come. <laughs> and those little heart explosions all build up to be one big giant heart explosion. And it's like your heart is living outside of your body. I just have one final question for you. Mm-hmm. And this is a question that I ask all of my guests. And... I have a theory that the mother we hope to be is exactly the kind of mother that we are, even when we're doubting our bonding and we're questioning our decisions and what we're doing is right, that sort of person we want to be is exactly who we are through all of those moments, through all of these six weeks where you have had difficult times for all of those, when you are at your best as a mother is exactly who you are all of the time. So, Sahina, what kind of mother do you hope to be and therefore what kind of mother are you? Wow. I hope to be a mum who is accepting and inclusive and loving and kind and open. Um, And I want my baby to be all of those things as well. And I want him to be fearless. And that's how I feel after going through all of this and letting go of all the expectations that I have, letting go of the control and the fear, this process and this journey and this role has brought so much love and meaning to my life. And I just want, I want to share that with my son and give him all the love that I can muster so that he puts all of that back out into the world and spreads spreads it as far as he can that's that's all I want yeah amazing that's such a wonderful answer I love that thank you so much for coming on motherness and speaking with me today especially when your baby is so fresh and new and you're (laughs) still very much in the thick of it and thank you for enlightening listeners to a different perspective on postpartum and a different culture and as well for being so honest and open and you're just incredibly eloquent in the way that you describe things and I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people so thank you so much no thank you I love what you do and I think it's so important and uh man being a mother isn't easy but uh yeah it's pretty special Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Motherness. For more empowering interviews like this one, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review so more listeners can discover all that Motherness has to offer. We are at motherness.podcast on Instagram, and our DMs are always open if you need advice or would like to chat. I'm Sky Ross, and you've been listening to Motherness.